Welcome to Franchise Marketing Radio, brought to you by SEO Samba, comprehensive high-performing marketing solutions for mature and emerging franchise brands. To supercharge your franchise marketing, go to seosamba.com. That's S-E-O-S-A-M-B-A dot com. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Franchise Marketing Radio, and this is going to be a fun one. Today we have with us John Francis, or as you may know him, Johnny Franchise with Next Level Franchise. Welcome, John. Yeah, thank you. I'm good. Good to be here, Lee. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, before we get too far into things, for those who don't know, tell us a little bit about Next Level Franchise. Uh, how are you serving folks? Sure. Well, Next Level Franchise is, is just me. I'm an independent uh, consultant. I used to call myself a reluctant consultant, but uh, I think since COVID, I gave up the reluctant part of it, and I've been a little more proactive and done a little more promotion of myself. But uh, Next Level Franchise is really who I am and what I like to do with clients. I work independently, uh, usually as more of an advisor uh, than, than a than a consultant. In franchising, consultants sometimes get confused with brokers or what I call matchmakers, people selling franchises. Uh, I don't do that. I've done that work and it's not my thing. So I'm more of an advisor, sometimes called a coach. Uh, I oftentimes uh, wind up on a board, a board of advisors or a board of directors. That seems to be something I've got a niche for. And uh, I just like to help people take their franchise business to the next level, whether it's a franchisor who's growing fast or growing slow or or struggling with some other challenge or or a franchisee who's kind of stuck somehow or not seeing the results they expected or or trying to get to the multi-unit or multi-brand or whatever it might be. And and even suppliers. I've worked with supplier companies who are trying to figure out how to how to do what they do better and and get, you know, get into the franchise community, which, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways of doing things. And so I just try to help people when I think I can, and uh, I try to add value and, and, uh, and I'm pretty straightforward, no nonsense kind of guy. And then if uh, most cases, you know, I get to the point where it's either not a fit or I, I don't think I can help. And I'm glad to get out of the way and, and try to use my network. I've got a great network and, and I've been around franchising forever. So I, if I can't help you, I probably know someone who can. So I, I like to be a resource to, to people. So um, on this show, we talk to a lot of franchisors and um, a lot of emerging franchisors as well. Uh, can you uh, maybe share a little advice for those folks who are trying to either, you know, kind of create that escape velocity for a new franchise um, to help them maybe not make some of the mistakes that you've seen being made over the years? Well, you know, I could talk for hours on just that, but I'll, I'll give you a couple of highlights. Obviously, we only have a few minutes, but so the fundamental truth in franchising is, every, you know, it, there are no new mistakes in franchising. I think someone, I heard that recently, and I think it's good advice. Everything that you're going through as an emerging brand, a lot of other people have done the same thing and gone through the same kind of issues and challenges and frustrations. Now, things move a little faster these days than they did say 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. You know, technology has certainly accelerated a lot of things and changed a lot of dynamics, but a lot of the same issues are the same thing. I see them over and over and over. So, so the advice there is don't be afraid to ask for help, uh, whether it's me or, you know, hundreds of other people out there who, 
who want to help. Um, you know, there's lots of lots of places to go uh, to get get the help. You don't have to struggle alone. You know, franchising is kind of fun in that most people like to really share what's worked for them because you're not seen as a competitor. If I've got a tire a tire franchise and you've got a dry cleaning franchise, you know, we don't see each other really as competitors, even though we're we're selling franchises, but it's it's not the same. So a lot of the stuff and a lot of the experience in franchising is freely shared because, you know, when franchising does well, that that helps all of us. So it's it's unique that way. So don't be afraid to get help, I guess is number one. And and keep asking for help because uh, there are a lot of people out there with a lot of ideas and, and some may fit better than others at certain phases of your growth. So uh, don't be afraid to to build your network and, and surround yourself with other resources and people who might have uh, good information to share. Number two is the, the most critical part is, you know, those first five franchisees in a brand really set the pace for the rest of them. Uh, and I know this is a kind of a cliche, but, you know, those first few franchisees really, uh, they can make or break your life in terms of level of frustration, you know, down the road. So be, be as selective as you can, be as careful as you can and make sure that those people are, are the right fit and the right people and properly qualified and, and have the resources and, and follow the system and do all the things they're supposed to do. Because if, if your first few are successful, that will really set the pace for the rest of the brand. And uh, if your first few really struggle, uh, you're going to have a lot of other challenges, you know, later on down the road. So you got to be ready to franchise and then you got to be prepared for the people factor because uh, that's just the nature of franchising. It's all relationships and people and, and that means challenges. So be careful and uh, seek for seek a lot of help. I don't know if that may be too generic, but but those are what's coming to mind right now. Now, um, how are you helping your clients kind of deal with this uh, maybe once in a generation um, disruption of COVID? Very good question. And I'll, I'll tell you, I, I see it in a, a variety of ways. For some brands, uh, this COVID thing has been wonderful. It's actually helped them, pushed them to do things differently and, and find a lot of efficiencies that they didn't know they had. So in a lot of cases, it's it's been good. In some of my clients, it's been terrible. And it's really being shut down and forced to shut down. It had a huge economic impact. And, uh, you know, a lot of other factors were impacted, just people's attitudes and psyche and, and everything. So how are they dealing with it? I, I think it's a matter of, you know, if you're an established brand and you've got franchisees, you've, if you've survived it and you're on this side now, we're most, I'm optimistic, we're mostly over the hard part of COVID. But uh you know, you have to have had adapted your brand. And, and what is happening now is, is with what I'm, I'm seeing called the great resignation with a lot of people who are employees out there are, are sick and tired of working for somebody else. And it, usually that is a good indicator for franchising because those people want to take control of their situation and they're more, more uh, interested in, in a, a franchise investment than some other kind of startup. And uh, so generally franchising, I believe, is picking up kind of everywhere I look. People are seeing leads and and the success and the rebound is kind of happening. So you should be uh, seeing that if you're not seeing that, you should understand why and, and what what's missing or what what needs to change. Now, I'm seeing a lot of momentum out there right now. And um, one of my clients just this morning, we were talking and they're having a record year. And, and this is a brand that was was affected negatively by COVID, but 
it's come back and it's come back well. And then they did some things while they were down with COVID. They retooled their development process and, and the franchise sales and everything around it. And they're seeing record sales. It's working. So they were they did the right things at the right time uh, for the right reasons. And, and now it's it's starting to pay off. So so I guess the, the, the answer is with COVID, it's going to force some change. Try to figure out where that change really is important and what can you do about it to turn it into an advantage for your brand. And for your franchisees, if if you have them, uh, you got to take care of them first. I think that's critical. Now, for the franchisors that um, are going to market, are you, are you since you've been doing this for a minute, um, have you seen an evolution on how uh, franchisors, especially emerging franchisors, attract franchisees? Has the methods of attracting franchisees? changed dramatically uh throughout the years you've been doing this like or yeah. the same kind of yeah. things working I, like they worked 10 years ago changed uh, well yeah i i think society's changed and so of course maybe it's maybe i'm looking at it from too far of a a, a, a term too wide of a term but i think people get into business these days for a different reason and maybe with different expectations and maybe it's just the nature of you know the pace of things have certainly sped up but um you know, a lot of people looking at franchises, you, you part of part of the fun of, of awarding or selling franchises is getting into their heads as to why, right? Why do you want to do this now? Why now? Why this brand? Why do you want to be a franchisee? And, and having those kind of conversations, I'm hearing different answers. In the old days, I guess, or in the past, it was, well, I'm sick of my job or, you know, I inherited some money and I want to do something different or, you know, whatever. There's circumstances where now... I see it as people have more just raw ambition. They want to do it because they think they're, they're capable of doing it. They, they're not motivated externally. Something didn't happen to them. Now it's something internal where they want to do it for themselves. So I think there's maybe kind of a shift in, in motivation. And I think that's real. I think it's good, frankly, because those people, if they're self-starters and self-motivated, you know, they're probably going to hopefully going to stick with it and, and make the commitment to be successful and do whatever it takes, which is better than, you know, something that changed that happened to you. And, and of course, life goes on, things are going to change again. And maybe that changes your motivation. So I think if that answers the question, the motivation of the franchisee buyers has shifted a little bit. I think you still see a lot of things out there. But in a general sense, I see more people coming at it for their own reasons. Uh, internally motivated, which I think is probably a good thing. Now, are you seeing more, I call them kind of professional franchisees, ones who are like kind of building a portfolio of complementary brands, and yeah. they really are kind of building empires rather than that person that maybe retired and then says, okay, now I'm going to open this thing, and then maybe it'll grow to a couple more. Uh, are you seeing a kind of a shift in that type of person being attracted to franchising? Yeah, I, I, I see it. I see a lot of stuff out there. I see a lot of people that, that think it's easier than it is. You know, they it looks easy on paper and it sounds easy when someone's telling their story. Um, I mean, I tell my story and it probably sounds easy, you know, but it's never easy. And so what I, I think what happens is I, I see a trend, I guess, like everyone, you know, the multi-unit, multi-brand franchisees, they're all over the place, especially in food categories. You know, that's kind of common, but I see it in other industries and service and retail and, and even B2B um, uh, models, but I think it's, it's just never as easy as it looks. 
and, and I think the, the reality is a lot of people come at it. Maybe they read a book or they see a magazine or they, they hear somebody on some interview like this, I suppose. And they think, well, oh, I'm going to go do that. And how hard can it be? I've already done this. So I should be able to do that. And I'm here to tell you, it's just not that easy. And um, I'm more uh, comfortable, I guess, seeing people expand and go deeper into a particular brand. If you're already got a, a unit and you like the company and you're doing well with that business, I would say go deeper and add more units in the same brand. And even if it's different geography, you're more likely to have success than you are to switch and go to a separate brand, a, a second different concept, unless there's some other strategic reason that I'm, I'm seeing more meaningful success when people stick with a particular brand and go deep into that brand. You know, I'd rather see you have 10 or 15 units in one brand, even if they're across three or four states, than see you have, you know, three or four brands and have two or three or, or four of each one. You're going to drive yourself nuts. I mean, I, I, I understand diversification and geographic and, you know, minimizing risk and all the rest and leveraging your infrastructure and all the same. But I see more success with people who stick with a particular brand than, uh, than going into the multi-brand route. I mean, it just, it's a, it's another level of complexity when you add a different, uh, a different brand. Uh, so I see more of that. And I, I guess my, my, my frustration is that I think people come at it underestimating the commitment, the time, the energy, and then the likelihood of success. I think they think it's a lot easier, a lot faster, and more likely they're going to make it. And when they get to reality, it, it costs more, it takes longer, and it's much more difficult. And, and they probably wish they wouldn't have done that uh, in the end. So I think it's unusual when someone is successful at that level. And uh, I wish most people would understand that it's probably a risk you shouldn't really, you know, you should very carefully consider those things before you do them. Now, can you share a story? You don't have to name the brand name, but uh, a franchise that you worked with that maybe were struggling, maybe explain where they were struggling and how you were able to come in and help take them to a new level. Yeah, um, I can think of several, I guess. Let me think of one that's maybe universal. Um, here's a story about a brand that was, um, this might be good for an emerging brand. Uh, I think you know, there's an awful lot of emerging brands out there. And I guess there always are. And that, that's a good thing. You know, I, I think there's always room for another good one, right? Um, this brand was doing their thing and they, they were doing pretty well. The system was up and running. And I think they were over 100 units at the time. Uh, but it was a small unit level economic. So these are smaller businesses, but nice business, good people, good brand. They're rolling along and we got inside of their stuff and we st I came on as an advisor and started looking through things and asking questions. And one of the first things we recognized is they did not have an ad fund, a brand advertising fund. And we're going through their numbers. And again, we're allocating the, the resources and trying to figure out, you know, what's, where's the, where's the bottleneck here? And, and I said, well, you've got an ad fund. Where's your ad fund? And they're like, well, no, we, we don't have one. And it became very clear that that was an opportunity that they just needed to pursue. They couldn't ignore it anymore. I said, well, if you, if you had an ad fund and it worked like this, and we kind of did a blueprint of how it might make a difference. And sure enough, it, it made a huge difference um, for that brand. So they, it was very difficult. This was not easy. It took a lot of planning, a lot of effort, and a lot of, uh, I'll say, politicking, because, you know, it's, you're, you're making a big change, right? It was in the agreements, but nobody had really thought much about it. So they, 
very carefully rolled out an ad, ad fund. Uh, and I think it was like 1% or 2% or some kind of dollar figure. You know, they came up with a formula that, that seemed appropriate and reasonable. Anyway, uh, a few years later, it, it has uh, made a big impact on that brand. So number one, the franchisees learned they could afford it. It really wasn't, it wasn't any uh, material impact to them. It, it, it created efficiency in their buying, which, which everybody enjoyed. And it really streamlined the advertising campaigns and the quality of the materials and the, the systems that they could accommodate because now they had a budget they could plan for. And really what it did for that franchisor is alleviated a lot of their cash flow issues uh, because they were paying for stuff and, and managing that. And it just it was a disaster. So adding the ad fund early in a brand. I, so the lesson is, I, I think if you're out there and you've got maybe 20 or 30 units, if you've got in your agreement, you know, we have the right to activate an ad fund. If, if you haven't yet, I would uh, really consider it now. Do it before you wish you had done it. This, this brand had waited probably two or three years too late. And it was more difficult because they waited that long. They did it and it worked, uh, but I think it would have been a little easier and it would have had a lot more benefit had they done that sort of on time, I, I would say earlier than, uh, than they had done. So, so that's one, one good example that I think is applicable to a lot of startup early stage franchisors. Now, uh, you mentioned the variety of kind of places in the life cycle of a franchise where you insert yourself or where you can be useful. Is there a favorite place? Do you have a sweet spot? Do you prefer yeah. them to be brand new and not have no. kind of unlearned things? Or do you have prefer them to be kind of have already no, I, kind of got over the hump? I like it when they're really in trouble, uh, frankly. The, the more complicated and uh, I don't want to say desperate, but I'll just say motivated that the owners are. You know, when they really struggled, something went wrong here. We, we used to feel good about this. We used to have uh, whatever momentum and growth. And now we're struggling. Now we have new competitors. Now we have different issues internally. You know, we've outgrown ourselves and we need a different approach. So I like, honestly, I like to help brands that really have complicated problems because then it's worth fixing. I can, I can go in there and do my thing and, and they'll pay for it because it's, it's valuable when it, I generally uh, don't uh, engage one-on-one -on -one with uh, early stage brands because they, they can't afford to pay anything. They're already struggling to, to make ends meet. And I'm not a development sales guy, so I don't need any kind of commission structure. I'm not interested in that. You know, I like to do my thing and, and really help them do their work. So sometimes I'll work with early stage. I mean, I've got a few clients now that are early stage brands that are are trying to figure it out, but they've, you know, I guess they've impressed me enough that they're willing to listen and do some of the things we, we come up with, right? If they're not willing to implement new ideas, what's the point of bringing them new ideas? So, so I'll work with really anybody uh, when they're ready to make changes. I, I'm more, I guess the, the qualifier for me is, are they good people? They have integrity there. They've got, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not going to bother with people that, that don't have integrity. And then can they afford it in a meaningful way? And not just the dollars, but can they do what we talk about doing? Because if they're not going to bother, and if I just keep bringing ideas and they keep rejecting them, then, you know, that's no fun for anybody. And I don't need to waste my time or theirs. So I guess, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's, that's what I'm thinking about, Lee. 
Well, if there is a, a, a franchise or out there that is struggling and, you know, is frustrated, it, what is the best way to get a hold of you to have a more substantive conversation with you? Yeah, thank you. My, my website is johnnyfranchise.com. Um, there's a lot of information there. Um, I'll, I'll throw out my phone number. I don't mind. Uh, people call me all the time. It's 612-868-0745. Uh, I answer the phone when I'm available. And uh, if not, leave me a message. But I'll talk to anyone for a few minutes and try to point them in the right direction. And I can ask questions to get people thinking really quickly. I'm pretty good at assessing the, the, the overall situation. If I think I can help, I'll try. And if I don't think I can help, I'll, I'll generally give them two or three good ideas that uh, might be a better fit. So find me on the website. Uh, I'm on all the social medias and, um, you know, I don't mind a phone call or text or whatever, whatever's easy, I guess. Don't be afraid to reach out. I mean, this is, this is, I, I've discovered my purpose in life, I think, is to help people get their franchise business right. Uh, I don't want to own it. I don't want to work there. I, I don't want a job or a, I don't need to buy anything. I don't need to sell anything. I, I just like to help people get where they're going. Right. Good stuff. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story today. You're doing important work and we appreciate you. Thank you, Lee. I, I appreciate the opportunity to, to share my story and, and share some ideas. I, I really do appreciate it. Thank you. All right, that was John Francis, johnnyfranchise.com. That's J-O-H-N-N-Y, franchise.com to learn more. This is Lee Cantor. We will see you all next time on Franchise Marketing Radio. 